Section twenty seven of Bird Stories from Burroughs by John Burroughs. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Avai in July two thousand fourteen. Bird Stories from Burroughs by John Burroughs. The Screech Owl. At one point in the greyest, most shaggy part of the woods, I come suddenly upon a brood of screech-owls, full-grown, sitting together upon a dry, moss-draped limb, but a few feet from the ground. I pause within four or five yards of them, and am looking about me, when my eye lights upon these grey, motionless figures. They sit perfectly upright, some with their backs and some with their breasts toward me, but every head turned squarely in my direction. Their eyes are closed to a mere black line. Through this crack they are watching me, evidently thinking themselves unobserved. The spectacle is weird and grotesque, and suggests something impish and uncanny. It is a new effect, the night side of the woods by daylight. After observing them a moment, I take a single step toward them, when, quick as thought, their eyes fly wide open, their attitude is changed, they bend, some this way, some that, and, instinct with life and motion, stare wildly around them. Another step, and they all take flight but one, which stoops low on the branch, and with the look of a frightened cat regards me for a few seconds over its shoulder. They fly swiftly and softly, and disperse through the trees. A winter neighbour of mine, in whom I am interested, and who perhaps lends me his support after his kind, is a little red owl, whose retreat is in the heart of an old apple tree just over the fence. Where he keeps himself in spring and summer, I do not know, but late every fall, and at intervals all winter, his hiding-place is discovered by the jays and nuthatches, and proclaimed from the tree-tops for the space of half an hour or so, with all the powers of voice they can command. Four times during one winter they called me out to behold this little ogre feigning sleep in his den, sometimes in one apple-tree, sometimes in another. Whenever I heard their cries, I knew my neighbour was being berated. The birds would take turns at looking in upon him and uttering their alarm notes. Every jay within hearing would come to the spot and at once approach the hole in the trunk or limb, and with a kind of breathless eagerness and excitement take a peep at the owl and then join the outcry. When I approached, they would hastily take a final look, and then withdraw and regard my movements intently. After accustoming my eye to the faint light of the cavity for a few moments, I could usually make out the owl at the bottom, feigning sleep. Feigning, I say, because this is what he really did, as I first discovered one day when I cut into his retreat with the axe. The loud blows and the falling chips did not disturb him at all. When I reached in a stick and pulled him over on his side, leaving one of his wings spread out, he made no attempt to recover himself, but lay among the chips and fragments of decayed wood, like a part of themselves. Indeed, it took a sharp eye to distinguish him. Not till I had pulled him forth by one wing, rather rudely, did he abandon his trick of simulating sleep or death. 
then like a detected pickpocket he was suddenly transformed into another creature his eyes flew wide open his talons clutched my finger his ears were depressed and every motion and look said hands off at your peril finding this game did not work he soon began to play possum again i put a cover over my study wood-box and kept him captive for a week look in upon him at any time day or night and he was apparently wrapped in the profoundest slumber but the live mice which i put into his box from time to time found his sleep was easily broken there would be a sudden rustle in the box a faint squeak and then silence after a week of captivity i gave him his freedom in the full sunshine no trouble for him to see which way and where to go just at dusk in the winter nights i often hear his soft burr very pleasing and bell-like with a furtive woody sound it is in the winter stillness so unlike the harsh scream of the hawk but all the ways of the owl are ways of softness and duskiness his wings are shot with silence his plumage is edged with down another owl neighbor of mine with whom i pass the time of day more frequently than with the last lives farther away i pass his castle every night on my way to the post office and in winter if the hour is late enough am pretty sure to see him standing in his doorway surveying the passers-by and the landscape through narrow slits in his eyes for four successive winters now i have observed him as the twilight begins to deepen he rises out of his cavity in the apple tree scarcely faster than the moon rises from behind the hill and sits in the opening completely framed by its outlines of grey bark and dead wood and by his protective colouring virtually invisible to every eye that does not know he is there probably my own is the only eye that has ever penetrated his secret and mine never would have done so had i not chanced on one occasion to see him leave his retreat and make a raid upon a shrike that was impaling a shrew-mouse upon a thorn in a neighbouring tree in which i was watching i was first advised of the owl's present by seeing him approaching swiftly on silent level wing the shrike did not see him till the owl was almost within the branches he then dropped his game and darted back into the thick cover, uttering a loud, discordant squawk, as one would say, Scat! 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 The owl alighted and was, perhaps, looking about him for the shrike's impaled game, when I drew near. On seeing me, he reversed his movement precipitately, flew straight back to the old tree, and alighted in the entrance to the cavity. As I approached, he did not so much seem to move as to diminish in size, like an object dwindling in the distance. He depressed his plumage, and, with his eye fixed upon me, began slowly to back and sidle into his retreat till he faded from my sight. The shrike wiped his beak upon the branches, cast an eye down at me and at his lost mouse, and then flew away. A few nights afterward, as I passed that way, I saw the little owl again sitting in his doorway, waiting for the twilight to deepen, and undisturbed by the passers-by, but when I paused to observe him, he saw that he was discovered, and he slunk back into his den as on the former occasion. Ever since, while going that way, I have been on the lookout for him. 
Dozens of teams and foot passengers pass him late in the day, but he regards them not, nor they him. When I come along and pause to salute him, he opens his eyes a little wider, and, appearing to recognize me, quietly shrinks and fades into the background of his door in a very weird and curious manner. When he is not at his outlook, or when he is, it requires the best powers of the eye to decide the point, as the empty cavity itself is almost an exact image of him. If the whole thing had been carefully studied, it could not have answered its purpose better. The owl stands quite perpendicular, presenting a front of light mottled grey, the eyes are closed to a mere slit, the ear feathers depressed, the beak buried in the plumage, and the whole attitude is one of silent, motionless waiting and observation. If a mouse should be seen crossing the highway, or scudding over any exposed part of the snowy surface in the twilight, the owl would doubtless swoop down upon it. I think the owl has learned to distinguish me from the rest of the passers-by. At least, when I stop before him, and he sees himself observed, he backs down into his den, as I have said, in a very amusing manner. End of section 27